Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. talk to you tonight. My message tonight, lesson tonight is entitled, The Most Important Thing. The Most Important Thing. I think that uh, in our world today, our society, that people has placed emphasis on the wrong things. But the most important thing is more than more valuable than silver or gold, and that is to live for God, have our name in the book of life, and be prepared for the Lord's coming. My text is taken from that familiar passage of Scripture in Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 13. <clears throat> Paul writing to the church at Philippi, passage that... Uh, has been referred to many, many times. But uh, I pull this out of the context of what he wrote there. And listen, listen to Paul. He said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I haven't made it yet. I haven't heard his well done yet. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. We haven't made it, but we're on our way. My mind's made up. I'm determined. I realize the most important thing for me is to make it faithfully to the end. The most important words for me to hear is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I pulled out something in my paraphernalia, something that... You have maybe read yourself, probably most all of you have heard at least referred to, but I found it interesting and I wanted to share it with you tonight that I think is uh, appropriate and uh, applicable to our study, most important thing. It's entitled No Reserves, No Retreats, No Regrets. Does that sound familiar to you? But anyway, in the story, in the lesson, in the late 1800s, William Borden was graduated from high school. While his family was wealthy, he was not the son and heir to the Borden dairy fortune. His father sent him along with a servant on a trip around the world. As he left for his ship, his father gave him a, a new Bible, and the boy read it during his travels around Asia, Africa, and the Middle East. William's heart was grabbed by what he saw, the teeming millions without Christ and without hope. 
he wrote his father that he intended to serve Christ on the mission field. As he thought of the danger and sacrifice ahead of him, he wrote in the back of his Bible, no reserves. Two words, no reserves. When William returned to the States, he enrolled in Yale to prepare for the ministry. Graduating with honors, he entered Princeton Seminary, turning down many impressive offers and the opportunity to replace his father in a few years. As he entered seminary, he wrote two more words in his well-worn Bible, no retreats, no reserves, no retreats. William finished seminary three years later and was accepted as a missionary to China. Saying his goodbyes to family and friends, he sailed for the Orient, stopping in Egypt for further preparation. While in Egypt, he became ill and died a month later, dead at 25 years of age. When William's father sorted through his son's personal belongings, he thumbed through his well-used well Bible, and he found two more words his son had written on his deathbed. Those two words were, no regrets. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. What a way to live and what a way to die. We have questions, or at least I'm from Missouri. I have questions when I think about things that happen to people I consider people of God, servants of God. When I think about, looks like it shouldn't have happened like it did. All right. You know, I think of the young couple, I don't know, if, and so help me, I can't even remember their names. You'll have that problem as you get a little older, but we had a couple that preached a revival for us many years ago. They, after uh, Brother uh, and Sister Willis moved to North Vernon and took the church there, they took the church at Vivi to pastor. Beautiful couple. I wish I could remember their name. Is it Harrison? Harrison or Harris? Just Harris. Beautiful young a couple. And they were on their way back home, if I understand the story right. Hadn't been pastor very long. And uh, uh, again, if I get my story right, if I don't, you can straighten me out. But wait till after church. Um, if I remember correctly, there was a dump truck on the way in front of them that didn't have any lights on. And they didn't see the truck until it was too late. And they ran under the back of that truck and killed both of them instantly. And we look at that and say, why? Why? We can question this and, and there's, I don't know that there's any sin in questioning things like that. But then when we look to the Word of God 
and read these scriptures like Paul left us and read stories like about William Borden. My, my, he didn't even hardly get started and died. It's not how far we run. It's not how fast we run. It's not how much we have done. It's how we have ran and what we have done. And Paul said in this passage, this one thing I do. That's a key expression, one thing I do. I think, again, some of our problems is, speaking for myself, that we can get involved in too many things and lose focus on the main thing. And the main thing is the main thing. He didn't seek to obtain wealth and salvation as well. He didn't uh, honor, seek honor and the crown as well at the same time. He had one object, one goal, one purpose. And I pray God help me. Help me. Because my mind can stray. My thoughts can stray. My opinions. This singleness of purpose. He owed his, he owed his what I would call extraordinary uh, attainment in humbleness, in being humble. His uncommon success, think of this man, his uncommon, and it was uncommon, success. He wrote more books in this New Testament than anyone else. What a man, what an example. Uh, and, and again, we look at all of the things that he suffered. Look at all of the things he endured. Look at the times he was stoned. At one time, evidently killed, left for dead. Possibly the time when he was caught up to paradise. I don't know. But he said, reaching forth unto those things. Reaching forth unto those things which are set before, which are before. Reaching forth. And, and this Greek word that's employed here, and I'm not a Greek scholar, uh, but this Greek word, so according to Mr. Strong's, emphasizes this reaching to stretch oneself, to stretch, I'm reaching for it. I'm reaching for it. When you're stretching for something, you're focusing on it. It's not just, a, you know, stretching or reaching out in the dark. If you're stretching for something, your idea, your thought, your focus, your eyes are on that one thing. Can you see heaven tonight? Can you see a street of gold tonight? Can you see a gate of pearl tonight? Can you see yourself sitting at the marriage supper tonight? Can you see yourself wearing a crown of gold tonight? Amen. I've made it. I've made it. I believe with all the circumstances and conditions that are taking place in our world today, I think we have the right to say like no previous generation has said, and they have said every generation has said it, <laughs> this must be the end time, must be the last days. But I think we have more right or authority to make such a statement than any previous generation. Amen. Folks, it's getting close. It's getting close. So Paul tells, and he goes on to tell us in verse 14, I press I've got my vision, I've got my mind on where I'm going, so I press 
toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press. My goal has been set. My mind has been made up. And nothing shall prevent me from reaching the finish line and the victory. Nothing, nothing. With all my might, I reach forward to make the finish line and to embrace victory. Jesus put it this way in the book of Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Or as, as we have said in the time past, it's the violently resolute. It's the ones whose mind is made up that's going to make it. That's going to make it. If you're in and out, you're not going to make it. If you live for God one day and bless the devil the next, you're not going to make it. It's that plain and that simple. My eyes must be on the goal. I must see myself reaching out to that finish line for the prize. Nothing should be as important to us or as valuable to us uh, as a child of God than hearing the Lord's well done, welcome home. And the wonderful fact is we can. We can if we don't allow this world to get in our way, if we don't allow the devil to fill our minds with thoughts to distract us from the straight and the narrow. Jesus put it this way through Revelation 3 and 11. I say Jesus. He's the one that told John what to write. But anyway, in, John, in Revelation 3 and 11, John wrote to the church in Philadelphia, and in this statement he said, Behold, I come quickly, Hold that fast. Hold that fast. Sounds like he means hold on to it. Don't loosen your grip on it. Hold that fast which thou hast. And then notice the expression that no man take thy crown. That's, to me, that's an awesome statement that no man take thy crown. It seems the inference here is someone could if we don't hold fast, if we're not determined. If our mind has made up, somebody's going to sit at that marriage table. Somebody's going to wear my crown. God knows the exact size of my big head. And he's already got a crown prepared for me. Maybe even got it engraved. I hope he spells my name right. But anyway, we already have the promise of a crown of life. Amen. But the inference here is by the statement that no man take thy crown, that I haven't got it yet. Paul said, I haven't apprehended yet. I haven't felt the crown as of yet. And I don't mean to infer nor imply any doubts or any hesitation on our part or any, any unbelief or anything. No, sir, I'm going to make it. You're going to make it. Who else would come out in a rainy like, night like this and to church? So you're going to make it. I'm going to make it. MPC is going to make it by God's amazing grace. Amen. Now, when, when, let me give you an example of something that I think that applies to what I'm trying to convey here tonight. When Samuel was told by uh, Jehovah to anoint a man king over Israel because Israel had complained and fussed and wanted a king so bad that they were demanding that Samuel uh, prepare them one, give them one. 
So the Lord told Samuel, when Samuel was upset, he told Samuel, said, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me, but give them a king. So they, he gave them Saul, anointed Saul, king of Israel. You know the story. But the thing that touches me in regards to our study here tonight is what should have been or what could have been. It was wonderful that Saul was anointed king, but that's not the, that's not the rest of the story. It's wonderful to think about what Saul could have been, and that's the sad part of the story. If we turn to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, do you know how that verse uh, I hope I'm saying this right. If I'm wrong, forgive me. But you know how that verse could read or could have read in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1? It says, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ. And then it says, it says, it says in here, the book of of the, son, the uh, genera uh, generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. But if Saul had obeyed God, if Saul had lived for God, if Saul had been obedient to God, I believe, unless you convince me otherwise, I believe that verse could have read, the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of Saul the son of David, the son of Abraham, the son of Saul, the son of Abraham, I should have said, because Saul lost his privilege and right to the kingdom by being disobedient to God. God said, kill the Amalekites. You know the story. He didn't do it, even saving cows and sheep. But my point is, the lineage of the kingdom should have gone from Saul to Jonathan, to Jonathan's son, and so on down the line through the genealogies of Saul. But instead of saying the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, uh, instead of it saying Saul, it said David because David was the man after God's own heart. But, but what I, maybe this is a crude way of, say, of saying it, but what I'm trying to say is, folks, a plan God has for you is up to you whether that plan is fulfilled or not. God has a place in his kingdom for you, but whether you sit at that place or not, he's not going to make you go there. He's not going to make you sit by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No, that decision is mine. That decision is yours. And the sad thing that stirs my mind when I think about things like this, when I think of, when I think of people that have lived for God and then throw it away, when I know of, I know of pastors, apostolic one God Jesus named pastors who let the flesh and the world get in their way and they just give it up. How stupid can you be when we realize the value and the glories of heaven? Paul referred to it as the high calling. No greater invitation has ever been offered to any person than the invitation to make it to heaven, the invitation to hear the Lord's will done and make it to that wonderful uh, place called New Jerusalem. Another example that I thought of, and, and there's a bunch of them, 
But think of those 600,000 men of war above the age of 20, the 600,000 men above the age of 20 that left Egypt. They were so determined. They were so excited. They probably talked around the campfires at night as they approached that day when they were going to be delivered. And they had visions in their head, no doubt, about what they were going to do when they got to the promised land, when they got their acres uh, cordoned off for them and what they were going to build and so on. 600,000 men, they were excited. So they traveled that night. They leave with all their belongings. They make it to the Red Sea. They wait Till God sends an east wind to blow it apart so they can walk across on dry ground. And then when they get on the other side, they can turn around, look back, and see the judgment that God brought upon those Egyptians by drowning them all in the sea. Three days into their march, three days, three days, they're in their march and they don't have any water to drink. So what do they do? Lord, I've been fasting. I'm going to start fasting now until it rains. No. They start complaining to Moses, and water is taken care of. A month and a half later, they're hungry, and they start fussing, and God gives them manna. A little way farther, they're out of water again, or they're thirsty, and God causes water to come out of a rock. Amalek comes against them, a big host of enemies comes against them to try to keep them from making it to the promised land. So there's a battle that takes place. You know who wins the battle. In the third month, they come to Mount Sinai, and they camp there for about three months while Moses climbs up and down that mountain and gets the law of God for them. And then they march on, oh, I don't know how long it took them, probably a, a few months maybe. They march on to Kadesh Barnea, they're at the threshold, as it were, the entrance to, this, to the land. We're almost home. We're almost to the promised land. Sending out spies. The spies come back with this big old huge grape uh, cluster that it took two of them to carry. It is a fruitful land. It is a land of milk and honey. Amen. And then they listen to those two nutheads that said we can't take it. And they believed them instead of those two warriors. Amen. They said, we can. Joshua and Caleb said, we can. They listened to those fools. And 599,998 out of 600,000 went back into the wilderness and died in the wilderness. They never did eat from the vineyards that God said, there's vineyards there that you're going to eat from that you didn't, you didn't plant yourself. They never did drink from one well that God said, it's there, they're there, that you never dug yourself. They never lived in a house that God said, they're waiting for you. You didn't build it, but you're going to have a house waiting for you. 599, my, what fools, what fools. When I look around in the 46 years plus, we have been in Medora. And I think of those who have been baptized in the wonderful name of Jesus in those 46 years. Those that have received the Holy Ghost praying through the, in the altars up there, wherever they've been, uh, even back in their pew. When I think of all those that have been here that should be here. When I think of all those that receive the Holy Ghost that should still be shouting with the Holy Ghost. When I think of all those that sung I'm going through that have not gone through and are not going through, then it fills our heart with regret 
and disappointment. It shouldn't be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. What did we fail to tell them or instill in their mind that they would be determined? I'm not letting anything stop me. I'm not letting anyone stop me. I'm not letting jobs stop me. I'm not going to let family stop me. I'm not going to let anything in this world of any kind of value stop me. The most important thing in my life is walking a street of gold, looking upon the face of my Savior, sitting down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. (laughs) My, 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 my. I know that I, I don't understand not only those that it seemed like lived for God for a while and then died, but I neither, I neither understand about those that live for God and quit. God has us all in his hand, that's for sure. He has a purpose for each and every one of us, but it's up for us to fulfill that purpose. John put it this way, 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we, what we shall be. We don't know for sure what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we're going to be like him. For we're going to see him as, as he is. Yeah. Going to see him as he is. My, my. And, and, and that, that in itself excites something within me that just excites me. That I'm going to see Jesus for myself. I know I read about him. I read about Paul and Peter and James and John. I read about Paul getting a personal visit with the Lord after resurrection. I read about all those things. And and then I I think of those like Judas who gave it all up for a few pieces of silver. Judas, don't you know? You're going to have your name inscribed in the, in the wall of that beautiful city and the foundations. Don't you know that you're going to dwell, you're going to rule and reign on a throne and judge one of the tribes? Don't you know that? Don't you know you're going to have eternal life in the presence of the Lord? Don't you know you're going to be robed in white one day? You're going to sit on a throne. Don't you know that? But I say to MPC, I say to us, I say to our families, the people that we love so dearly, don't you know where you're going? Don't you know what you can have? Are you going to allow some frivolous nothing keep you from that making it to that journey's end? Are you going to allow this world or anything, this world has got to offer and the filthy devil has got to offer? Are you going to let that rob you? destroy you, deceive you, and prevent you from walking through that gate of pearl and watch that angel welcome you to, the, to, your, to your home? Are you going to allow that happen to you? No. The most important thing, the most important, I think we can get a kind of a glimpse out of what we will be like because John said we'll be like Jesus. And what little bit we have in the Bible about what he was after resurrection for those 40 days gives us somewhat of an idea. Nothing will stand in our way. We'll be freed 
from pain, from sorrow. John tells us that in Revelation as well. That we be freed from problems that frustrates our day, our lives. You know what? We're going to be freed from COVID-19. Mask, maskless. No masks allowed in New Jerusalem. Amen. No, no, no demons allowed in New Jerusalem. Amen. I was studying recently and writing whatever recently and I got to thinking, praying and, and think, thinking about God's going to create new heavens and a new earth. And, and I guess I was talking to myself. I don't know. But anyways, God's going to create new heavens and a new earth. Brand spanking new earth. That is, this one's going to be, it's going to be a new earth. And I, and I, and I, and I guess I was talking to myself. The devil, the serpent, is not going to slither out of his place, slither into that new earth. No, there'll be no slithering going on there because he's going to be in a lake of fire with the with, with beast and his cohort, the false prophet, and he ain't getting out. And, and I'm going to be on the new earth. I'm going to be in a new city. That's called New Jerusalem, amen, that's coming down from God out of heaven. And Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, wherein dwelleth righteousness, amen. Nobody's going to be embarrassed even in Walmart and saying, praise the Lord, brother. Praise the Lord, sister. We might even have a prayer meeting in, well, no, we won't, not in Walmart. I don't think Walmart's going to make it, folks. <laughs> I'm sorry to disappoint you, but only the righteous, <laughs> only the righteous whose mind is made up. <clears throat> Paul, Paul said uh, about these things, the most important thing, of course, that I'm saying that we finish and let me emphasize, your race is not my race. What I'm trying to emphasize, it's up to us. My race is not your race. It's our race. It's my race. It's your race to make it. Paul used the expression, this one thing I do. Not 411, this one thing I do. And then, of course, reaching forth. And then he said, pressing for the mark and then for the price. The prize. He had no way of knowing. The point is, again, I'm trying to convey in all of this mumbo jumbo. But the point I'm trying to pay it to, to emphasize is we're, we're not promised a length of days. We're not told how long we're going to be here. I'm not so naive to think that I'm going to live another 50 years. I'm working on 25 more, but anyway. No, uh, we have no way. You know, I, I know I'm over 49, but the point is, tonight may be my last night. Tonight could be your last night. You might think, well, Bishop, I'm just 39. I'm just 24. Yeah, I've known some that were younger than that. I've known of young evangelists that were killed in accidents. And you'll shake my head and say, why? I think of John John the Baptist, you know, he prepared 30 years for his ministry. 
He began his ministry at the age of 30, walking out of that wilderness with that strange-looking clothing and diet. And, and then six months later, Jesus began his ministry. John baptized him. And then shortly thereafter, sometime thereafter, he sent his uh, disciples to check on Jesus. Are you really the one that we're looking for? So I don't know. The Bible is not specific. We're not told exactly. But my impression is that John worked 30 years, prepared 30 years for a ministry that would only last about a year or maybe even less. It's not the length. It's not how far you run. It's not how fast you run. It's how you run. It's how you live. That's the point I'm trying to think, to make. The most important thing is what you're doing right now, how you're living right now. Amen. Amen. And I know it's, it's strange. I know when God calls somebody and fills them with the Holy Ghost and, and then they just live for a short period of time, we're all in God's hand. Stephen, he was, he was one of those that, that were chosen to be a deacon, a young preacher, if you will. And he, I don't even know of him preaching one message. And he was stoned to death. My, my, we think, we think what a waste. What a waste. No, it wasn't a waste. He did what God called him to do faithfully. And he's going to be rewarded accordingly. There will be some that's going to come into the vineyard or the harvest field at the 11th hour. And they're going to get paid just exactly like those that started at the 6th hour. Amen. Amen. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. God help me to keep pressing. Keep on pressing. Keep on pressing. Keep on pressing. Keep on reaching. Keep on living. It's not a matter, again, of how... How fast it is, how far we go, and what, what, we, what we think we accomplish. We're in the hand of God. Job sat in ashes, scratching his back with broken pieces of earthenware, listening to a wife that says, curse God and die, listening to three so-called friends accusing him of being a hypocrite, and then he states, Job does, chapter 23, verse 10, he knoweth the way I take when he hath tried me. Oh, Lord, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Now, I, again, I can only read what I read in the book of Job, but I can't, I can't relate to it. He was probably the richest man of the East. Look at all the animals he had, all the possessions he had. Look at those beautiful daughters and sons that he had. And he loses it all in one day's time. It's gone. It's gone. If anybody had an excuse to throw up his hands and say, what's the use? It was this man. Because again, you have known, we have known of people that throw up their hands for a lot less. Preacher didn't shake my hand. Brother Bartholomew didn't treat me right, so I'm not coming back to church. Oh, you fool. Am I going to let one person keep me from God's glory? No way. No way. No way. But Paul said, when he's tried me, however long that is, I don't know how much longer I've got, 
But when he's, I know for sure, when, after he's through with me, I'm going to come out like gold. Job didn't know when he would die. But listen to what he said later, or not later, but before that. He had already said in chapter 19, you know the passage, verse 25, my, I know my Redeemer liveth, that he shall stand at the latter day upon this earth. And then he says that though my, after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God whom I shall see for myself and mine eyes shall behold and not another though my reins be consumed within me. Where do you think Job's vision was? Where do you think Job's eyes, what they were fastened on? <laughs> he saw himself seeing the Lord. In another place, I, I didn't give you the verse, but in another place, Job said, my righteousness, remember what he said? My righteousness, I hold fast and will not let it go. My righteous, my name's in the book of life, and I'm not going to allow it to be erased. Again, they're not told how far they're going. They're just told to overcome. Amen. Overcome. Make it all the way. Make it all the way. God help us. Let me close with Paul's last words that we have record of in 2 Timothy. We used Paul in the beginning to get us started. Let's use Paul at the conclusion to get us ended. Paul is writing to his son in the gospel, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Beginning with verse 6, Paul said, listen what he said, I am now ready. I am now ready. Evidently, Paul didn't die right then from what we read and historians tell us that he actually was uh, set free for a while from prison and then later arrested and, and uh, was beheaded. But anyway, Paul said, sitting right here in this prison, writing my letter to you, Timothy, in Ephesus, I'm ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. You and I, every one of us could say that. Every one of us. Again, but Brother Walls, I'm going to McAdoo's after church. Give me a hamburger. You may not make it. I'm on my way home. I got a job tomorrow. Got a trip to make tomorrow. May not make it. But let us be able to say with Paul, I am ready. I am ready. I am now ready. However much longer God has for me, I'm ready right now, Lord. If you're ready, I'm ready. I got my tithes paid this last week. I was in church Sunday, although it was in a park, but I was in church Sunday. I prayed this morning. In fact, I've been talking to you, Lord, all day long, just about today. Amen. This has been a good day. This has been a, I'm ready, Lord. If you're ready for me, I'm ready for you. I've been here a long time, you know. He knows when I was born. He even knows where I was born. The doctor had trouble. He had to get in the boat to come out and 
deliver me, but I'm ready. I'm ready. That's the most important thing to me. I'm ready. I'm ready. Ready to be offered. My departure is at hand. And then, and then may I, may I, oh Lord, help me. May I continue to repeat with Paul, I have fought a good fight. I wish I had more bruises. I wish I had more scars. I don't need more hair, but I, I wish I had, can say with Paul, I have fought a good fight. I finished my course. It's over with. I have, and the most important thing, I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. Would you stand? I have kept the faith. Amen. I haven't compromised the truth. I have preached for going on 70 years. One Lord, one faith. One baptism. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. Amen. Not to me only. I wish everybody would say, but to me as well. But to me as well. A crown laid up for me as well. What a hope. What a promise. Thank God. Thank God. The most important thing. Thank you for listening to the MPC podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorchurch.com to learn more about our ministry.